Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. Well, I'm very happy for you. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. Hey, folks. We are living in interesting times, and particularly if you live in the great state of Texas. This is a time where interest rates are skyrocketing. At the same time, home valuations continue to increase. So if you're looking to buy a home, or if you want to refi some of that equity and take advantage of it in your existing home, this is the time to go with the very best. And that's Gabe Winslow. You can reach him at 832-557-1095, 832-557-1095, or mortgagesbygabe.com. Here's the thing about Gabe. When you have the opportunity to do business with someone really, really sharp, who's also going to look out for your best interests in an ethical way, that's who I'm always going to choose 10 times out of 10. Gabe is great at what he does. And if he is not the best solution or his financial solutions are not the best for you, he will try to help you and advise you no matter what state you're in, no matter what your situation, because he's a hell of a nice guy and a good longhorn. Give him a call, 832-557-1095. This podcast was recorded before the addition of J.I. Hall, the Alabama transfer, former five-star recruit from Florida. J.I. is an immense talent, an immense physical talent. Uh, that said, Texas Longhorn fans need to pump the brakes and exercise a little caution on this one. J.I. has moved around in a lot of programs in the high school level. He didn't stick at Bama and was eventually asked to leave. And uh, he needs to demonstrate the ability to do some of the things off the field to allow him to show his significant physical gifts on the field. So consider a J.I. Hall added to the mix unless something changes. And uh, we'll wait and see what he can contribute to the Longhorn receiving group. We are back with Ian Boyd. He's been a great guest. Some great comments from the commentariat and listeners. We've enjoyed Ian's analysis. Ian always brings out the football uh, nerd in me, and we're geeking out a little bit. We have avoided uh, having to like pull out whiteboards and like video what we're talking about yet, Ian. So I consider that a victory both for us and the listener. Yeah, whenever we get to offensive line, we'll see. Oh no, we're gonna start drawing trap blocks and influence blocks, and yeah, we'll see how we'll see how it goes. But so far. So far, so good. There was a few moments in the defensive line one where I was like, oh, man, is this going to come across at all? Just Yeah, you know what? It did come across, it, though. People figured it out. It probably helps that we didn't understand each other clearly. And so we had to keep explaining it to each other over and over again to make sure that we understood what we were talking about. Yep. I, I think there's an old um, rabbinic Jewish uh, saying, which is sort of along the lines of, you cannot proceed with an argument until the other person can say back what your contention is without your objection. Meaning until the other person can characterize your argument correctly, and then you can characterize their argument correctly to them, to their satisfaction, then you can't proceed with the argument. Mm. Ian is unimpressed so, with his wisdom. So, well, that's a... <laughs> 
<laughs> I, it's fantastic wisdom. It's uh, I try to do that, but it's just very uh, not current year, you know. Well, your problem yeah. is that you try to do it on Twitter, which oh, yeah? as yeah. which as I've tried to explain to you is like a uh, a water park made of feces. I've learned recently. It is that. I've learned recently something that helps is to, uh, if people are just really antagonistic, just right, right out of the gate, if they're like really over the top, I just block them. You've, I've just restricted your access to my feed. Now you can't respond to anything. Have fun. Or if it's somebody that I think is maybe interested in actual engagement, but they're just coming in over the top, I'll just be like, why are you here? Do you want me to block you? Or, or do you actually want to be here? I actually it, thought you were going to go the other way and say something like, I love you and I'm going to pray for you. That, actually, <laughs> that would actually throw them completely off, right? Well, that, that would sound so uh, insincere. My buddy Parker Fleming does the, the fake version of that, which is whenever somebody comes in with just the worst, uh, worst kind of antagonism, he, just, he does the Southern, bless your heart. Bless your heart. And you're supposed to read that as, you know, F you. Well, if a, if a girl says it with the right intonation, that Southern Bell, it just, it sounds so sweet, but that you can hear the underlying F you. It's awesome. I love it. Yeah. One of the things I miss about Texas, not being there anymore, there's still some of those girls running around who can do the proper intonation on Bless Your Heart. Uh, but, all right. Well, speaking of, this is not a Bless, bless Your Heart situation. You and I, I think, we sort of compared notes before. And I thought I was going to be throwing this out as a, a little bit of a contrarian, right? For once, switching roles. I yeah. said, if this receiver group stays healthy, I think this is the best wide receiver group in the Big 12. And you said, yeah. Sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. I actually, I said, I think I said that there's, this might be the best skill group in the Big 12. So counting running backs, too. And uh, I tested this theory with uh, with Parker, who's mainly a TCU guy, and then this other guy, Adam Lunt, who's an Oklahoma State guy. And they both made arguments that Oklahoma State and TCU, respectively, had receivers comparable to Texas. But I was not convinced, so I've, I've been I've had my flag planted here for a, a little bit. Yeah, and I, I think probably one of the key elements of that premise was without injury, right? And so let's break these guys down. Let's talk about them. Let's talk about their best use and what our base wide receiver core might look like. You ready to go? I'm ready. All right. So let's start off with Jordan Whittington. Jordan is a junior. He's going to be a junior, uh, by, even though he's had three years. Uh, if, you, if you folks will remember, in 2019... There were big, big excitement about the potential of the freshman Jordan Whittington. Of course, he played in one game and succumbed to injury. 2020, big buildup about Jordan Whittington, what he was doing in practices. Uh, he only plays in five games. He catches 21 balls, and he's out. And then last year, Jordan Whittington, despite a, a rocky Arkansas game where he dropped a couple of balls, didn't play great, he had some some other very good games that people may, may have forgotten as the season progressed, but he only played in seven 
caught 26 balls for 377 yards, three touchdowns. Jordan Whittington has participated three years for the University of Texas, and he has expected, expected or was or expected to be a starter in at least two of them, and he's played in a grand total of 13 games out of 36 eligible. Do you know, do you have the count on like his total touches, like runs and catches combined and total yardage as a player at Texas? Yeah, he's caught 49 balls for 600 yards and he's rushed. Just said. Uh, sorry? Is that what you had just said? And he rushed yeah, up. Just... What? Go ahead. <laughs> what are you trying to say, Ian? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Give me the numbers. Yeah. It sounded like maybe I missed them the first time around. 49 catches in his entire career, and then how many runs? Four. Four. Unbelievable. So overuse has not been the issue. That's wild. Do you remember the 2019 spring when it was like uh, going to be like thunder and lightning with him and Keontae Ingram, and all the practice reports were like, yeah, they just they, they flex out Whittington, and he uh, catches a slant from Ellinger and goes to the house and – this is going to be unstoppable. They have so many things they can do in this setup. It's great. It's going to define the offense. Oh, no, he has a hernia. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, you know how we talked a little bit about the thoroughbred versus Clydesdale thing? Yeah. Whittington's yeah. A, he's a thoroughbred, and we want him to be a, more of a Clydesdale, more of a draft horse. Uh, the hope is that this season, moving to the slot, will allow him to do that. Um, do we have reasons for optimism or is this just, just, I mean, look, we've seen several Longhorn players who get injured constantly and it's sort of just a part of their career. And we've seen others who seem to get injured a lot who eventually get over it and they're quite durable. The, you know, Shipley, of course, comes to mind, uh, Jordan Shipley. So is the was hope. Michael Turner, was Michael Turner like that as well? Michael Turner, Michael Thompson. Or... I remember he had like uh, multiple seasons at Texas that never amounted to anything. And then all of a sudden as a senior for Charlie Strong, he really had a good year. And he was either drafted or had a nice shot as a UDFA. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's been plenty of guys like that. And, and it you just sometimes it's they grow into their body. Sometimes they need to, you know, the fear with, with Jordan is that he's got a, a brother who's a big fitness guy. But he's very into, I think, more bodybuilding-focused stuff and uh, maybe isolation of muscle groups rather than compound lifts. And, you know, the thought is that that Jordan is getting a great body out of it and he's getting sculpted and cut up and all that stuff, but it's not necessarily being in football shape. So the hope maybe is that he's a little bit more in football shape now. He's definitely mentioned in, in media that he's tried to change his diet, that he's been very aggressive about therapy and just trying to keep his body in as good a shape as possible, like even in winter drills and, and spring drills heading into practice. So uh, he definitely seems to sense, like, I, I've needed to change what I'm doing to stay healthier. So I, I think that's promising. He also, his injury last year, I think Eric Nolling has argued this, his injury last year was a little bit of a freak injury. He's diving forward to catch a underthrown ball that Casey Thompson threw off his back foot while Oklahoma Sooners were like dragging him to the turf, you know, Shocking. Texas couldn't, Texas couldn't block them in the second half. And Casey Thompson had weird mechanics sometimes when he was pressured in the pocket. 
So he's like diving into the turf and breaks his collarbone. That's like a pretty, I've seen that happen to a lot of guys. That happened to Adrian Peterson in Oklahoma. I think he broke his collarbone diving into the end zone, like maybe even in celebration. Do you remember that? Yeah. It was like yeah. a sophomore, his sophomore year, I think. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't know if that, I, I feel like there's some indication that he may be past the injury issues. Maybe he's not quite as tightly wound in a negative way as he has been in the past, but you know, we'll find out that there's the only way to know is to push it past eight or eight, whatever the eight RPMs was it in Ford versus Ferrari where they're, they won't let him test the engine past a certain RPM point. So what's the upside? What does a healthy Jordan Whittington give this offense? What does it, what does it look like? I think he's a very good RPO target if they want to incorporate a lot of those, which they probably should. Um, I think part of the reason that RPOs were an inconsistent part of the offense last year was actually that he might have been one of the only guys they really trusted to get an inside release and be able to get through to a catch if he's covered as opposed to some of the other guys. Um, he's also really an ideal guy for kind of over routes and uh, dig routes in the middle to try to suck in a safety on behalf of Xavier Worthy or Isaiah Nayor. Um, I'm sorry. So thinking, th- thinking through the greater context of Texas, where I see them probably leaning on RPOs and play action quite a bit and having extremely good deep field threats that we'll get to in a minute. And then having Bijan Robinson in the run game, it seems like a lot of teams, especially early would pick their poison and try to see if Jordan Whittington can hold up and be, you know, a slot machine that catches eight to 10 balls in a game for a hundred yards and actually hurts them. So I feel like his numbers are going to be pretty good. And his impact just in being able to be that second-level threat is potentially essential to this team. Um, although we already talked about Jaleel Billingsley in the tight end breakdown, but Jaleel Billingsley would essentially serve the exact same role, I think, in the offense. Yeah, I wonder if he's as quick-minded as Jordan, like able to make the reads and get in the right space. Well... Yeah, I think on the play action stuff where it's, you know, I think he, he would be fine there in the RPO game. Be a different, be a different thing. He, he was part of that at Alabama. I don't remember what his role was other than that. I think they threw him bubble screens in 2020 and they definitely flexed him out to block on behalf of like uh, uh, Devontae Smith. Yep. Uh, I, I would say another aspect of Whittington's upside is there's some yak potential. Right. Yeah. He's he's a strong guy. He can run through tackles and he's he's got some cutting and, you know, elusivity about his game and cheap yards in the college game are, are good yards. If you can throw an eight yard route and get 40 out of it because you make someone miss or run through a tackle, it's uh, it's always helpful for the cause. He showed that some last year. He uh, sure did. He had some really some amazing runs. If you go back and look at his highlights from last year, it's kind of jarring. I think uh, the stink of Arkansas lingered around him for much of the season. And uh, then um, when he came back from injury, he was not as effective and he wasn't as heavily incorporated in the offense. So I think some of the good games he had 
in between like Arkansas and his injury at Oklahoma are a little bit forgotten. Yeah, he he played pretty well against TCU, if I recall. Yeah, he had the he had the RPO slant touchdown that uh, I think that was the last time they scored in the game. All right, uh, that's Jordan Whittington. The downside is, I think, fairly apparent: injured. Yeah, we'll see. All right, let's talk about the guy who was the focus and the crux of the Texas passing game last year. As a true freshman, you know, I had pretty high expectations of Xavier Worthy. In fact, Jerry Hamilton was the guy who really alerted to me that this is a guy who was next level. He was different. And I went and watched his film. I saw it. Uh, I was concerned that with his frame, and he played at all of 160 pounds last year, I was worried he wouldn't be able to finish the year. But I observed pretty quickly that he had that Allen Iverson build of he's all basically tendon, muscle, flesh. I don't know. I don't know what that dude's body fat is, but and there's something about there's something weirdly durable about him. Like he he just plays bigger than he is. Now I still think he needs to gain a little weight and get stronger, but he's a dog as well. Highly competitive. He has a little chip on his shoulder. Uh, he's not shy about telling people about it. Uh, it's something. It's an attitude with productivity that Texas needs if they're going to get back. Um, and Worthy was fantastic. What What does his upside look like? Well, actually, let's review, like, what he did. Um, I mean, statistically, Worthy, just to remind everyone, he uh, – let me pull that, up his – 998 receiving yards. There you go. I remember because it's so frustrating that he's – you know, was a, a bubble screen away from a thousand, you know, just shy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 12 touchdowns, mm-hmm. which, which typically you don't see with a, a smaller sort of speed or quickness based receiver. Right. Uh, but he was so effective near the goal line. He's a good route runner and just very elusive. He can get, he can get open. He can shake people quickly. Uh, just, Easily the most explosive player in the Texas passing offense. He had 15 catches of 20 or more plays. I'm sorry, 20 or more yards. Seven of those 15 were for touchdowns. Just an extremely potent player. He's a great deep threat. He's great in the short screen game. What can Xavier add to his game to become even more deadly? Uh, Well, probably they didn't use him very much in the RPO game. Um, I think that's probably was probably a matter of he was only there for the fall, and to really maximize the RPO game, especially with a guy like that on the outside, you could you have like pre-snap adjustments or post-snap adjustments where it's like, hey, if you get this coverage, you're going to want to run this route, and then being on the same page with the quarterback. If you get press coverage, run a fade, et cetera. Um, so I imagine some of it was just knowing the playbook or how to read defenses. Um, and then certainly as a route runner, he could probably grow there, surely. The first time I heard about Worthy was actually um, from some of my Michigan friends. They were concerned that he was going to transfer away from Michigan. Hmm. Like, this this guy, we were really counting on this guy. They think, they think the Michigan staff thinks this guy is like one of the best players in the country, and he's going to be one of their best players immediately. And I was like, really? And uh, they're like, yeah, we think that dirtbag Sark's going to get him. He's going to transfer to Texas. Um, 
Yeah, I had, I had this one friend that was like, he's like, I'm not sure if we can be friends anymore if this happens. And um, yeah, it worked out okay for them, obviously. But you just imagine what they would have been this last year because they had a really good slot named Ronnie Bell who was injured in the first week of the year. Yeah. And if they could have just plugged Xavier Worthy into that, oh, man, they might have. Well, they probably wouldn't have beat Georgia, but, I mean, that would have been something. Um, I, f- I feel like his upside is um, – I don't know that I've seen th- – I feel like the closest I've seen to him at Texas is either Mike Davis, who I think he's already pretty much matched, or he's, – He's a better player than Mike Davis. Okay. Yeah. Or, or Jordan Shipley. Yeah. He was completely uncoverable outside or in the slot by the time he was done. Um, and he's faster than Jordan Shipley. I don't know if he's quicker or not, but he's definitely faster. Yeah. He pro- I don't. Yeah. That's, that's it. Senior junior and senior Jordan Shipley. That's, that's, that's like the, the next guy on his, uh, on his list. If, if you ever go back and watch old Cal footage of Deshaun Jackson, they are on, they're on parallel developmental tracks and uh, Xavier may be a little bit ahead of him as just a, a, a receiver. Deshaun, I mean, is one of the football fastest human beings I've ever seen on a football field. I mean, he's just, I don't care about his 40 time, whatever it is. It's just, you know, and, and I heard an interesting interview with Richard Sherman where he just basically said there's certain receivers. Like I don't, he's just like their football speed is just next level. And uh, it's a, it's like a functional speed. They can actually catch the ball running their fastest, whereas some guys can't actually catch really running their hardest. And uh, Xavier is exceptional. There's not a lot to say other than this is an incredibly dangerous skill position player, and it would be a real shame for Texas not to be able to take full advantage of just how good he is. One of the ways they will be able to take advantage. Oh, that was my editorial pause, Ian. Sorry, they they had Bijan Robinson and Xavier Worthy, and they only won five games last year. <laughs> I know it's not good. And they scored a lot of points. They scored a lot of points, like not as many as they should have, but it just uh, it's unbelievable. So, yep. So who's next? Who's next is the guy that's going to help unlock Xavier Worthy. Uh, we talked about Jordan Whittington. The guy is a transfer from Wyoming. Typically, you don't pin your hopes on a, on a transfer from Wyoming and the, this new realm of the portal. But Isaiah Nayor is a very interesting cat. He originally played his high school ball in Texas. Classic late bloomer profile. Ian didn't you know played football late. Actually showed a lot of potential as a senior. It was a weird um, recruiting situation where he didn't get as much attention. Also, he hadn't physically developed. He goes to Wyoming. And very early starts to show potential. Uh, caught eight balls for 240 yards, or about 30 yards a catch. And then I think he had that season abbreviated with an injury. Last year, Nayor was all-conference in his second season. 44 balls for 878 yards, 12 touchdowns. Ian, you had met, reminded me that those 12 touchdowns accounted for how many of their total receiving touchdowns in the passing game? I believe the number was 15. Yeah, he was responsible for 80% of their completed touchdown passes. Uh, He caught, by the way, eight touchdowns over his last six games. 
and he accounted for 41.5% of Wyoming's passing offense overall. So for comparison's sake, Xavier Worthy, who was the solitary meaningful threat in the 2021 Longhorn passing attack, he accounted for 36.3% of the Horn passing offense. So is Isaiah Nayor just a, an uber-athlete, flyer, uh, speedster stud? Or do we see something else when we look at his film? I tend to think that these G5 guys that produce in a big way at the skill positions are generally actually legit. Um, they, they generally translate well. And I think we're going to see a lot of this. I think this is going to be something that, um, honestly, the top programs should regularly leave a spot open in their calculations for the G5 skill player because there's just a considerably larger number of human beings that are like in the 510 to 6'2 range, 180 to 220 pounds. That can, there's so many of them that are good and athletic and have potential that there's invariably tons of them that don't really show it in a major way until they're at Boise State or Wyoming or, you know, really anywhere. Arkansas State doesn't matter. Any of, the, any of these G5 programs. And they are better than the guys you recruited that were four and five stars that showed up at camps more consistently or, or what have you. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of them. They slip through the cracks that show up there. There's also the skill talent in those conferences is often it's that's not where the real differences is are between some of the smaller conferences and the bigger conferences. It's not in the perimeter so much um, as it is in the trenches. So when when somebody catches 12 touchdown passes for a team that's bad throwing the ball and only has 15 total touchdowns passes on the year. Um, it's not because they're beating up on crappy cornerbacks. Oklahoma took Wyoming's starting corner in the transfer portal. It's almost always because they're legitimately quite good. Yeah, and to that point, if you watch Nayor's film, yeah, so first of all, he gained 30 pounds out of high school. He, he grew about an inch, and he was late to football. So it's all the different hallmarks of that late bloomer and all the things that I sort of look for. And then also, when you look at his film... It's not that he's just some freaky 40 guy who's just beating inferior defensive backs or inferior corners down the field. He's got great catch radius, really good hands, and he makes excellent adjustments to the ball because the Wyoming quarterbacks did not throw great balls. And Nayor repeatedly made great adjustments to the football. And he wasn't wide ass open. He's not a blazer. Uh, but he's got a big body, long, long arms, you know, good hands, and he tracks the football. And we haven't seen a guy do that really, really effectively at Texas. I don't know, maybe Colin Lil Johnson. Oh. Yeah, Colin Johnson was pretty good at that. Yeah. Lil Jordan had some ability there. You know, I, I just yeah. think he's an interesting player. And I think uh, so I can give you two quick anecdotes. One, I know a guy who's pretty connected with the program and he was touring the facility and BSing with the coaches or whatever. And uh, one of the coaches says, hey, I want you to meet uh, Isaiah. Isaiah's a new guy. So this guy I know meets him, says he's a really nice guy, and then um, goes on about his day. And then he came back to me and said, you know, is Isaiah, is he going to play, you know, do you think he can start for us at linebacker? And I said, 
no, I'm confident he will not start for us at linebacker. He's a wide receiver. And he said, that, the guy I met, Isaiah, is a wide receiver? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, he's big. And I was like, okay, interesting, noted. And then the other thing I heard was a, another person I know associated with the program said when they met him, they were sort of like, oh, you're the wide receiver from Wyoming. Like, you're, you're a bigger dude than I thought. Uh, so, yeah, he's apparently every bit of 6'3", 218, 220. And yep. that's, that's interesting. It's kind of interesting. I've seen pictures of, uh, of him in, like, spring practice standing with the other wideouts. And he's, you know, clearly bigger than the other guys. It just makes you wonder about the listings, you know. Because, um, I mean, supposedly everybody is... 6'3", at outside receiver, you know? Yeah. And, but no, they're not. Um, well, then they, then they get to the, well, everyone is, you know, uh, you also know these Texas guys and just random dudes from different schools who are 6'4", six, 6'5", six, outside, right? They get to the yeah. combine and what do they inevitably measure? 6'2". Six, 6'2 two. Six, two and a half. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's always, it's always hilarious. People are like, oh, he's 6'5", you know, and it's like, eh, we'll see. But yeah, my, apparently Isaiah's a big kid. One of my favorite memories is uh, in, in this realm is my first time at Big 12 Media Days. I went and then like the different players would come out, you know, from the different schools. And uh, it was uh, 2014. And um, like the Iowa State Center is there in like one of their linebackers. And they're not. I mean, they're a lot bigger than me, but they're not particularly huge people. And then Oklahoma shows up. And they've got um, what was that offensive lineman they had Daryl um, Daryl something and another played like right tackle blocked for Samaji P Ryan to run for like two thousand yards. Yeah, well, he was like six eight or something. Yeah, yeah, he was like six seven, six eight, three hundred thirty pounds. Um, they had oh, uh, Baylor was there with Sean Oakman, who oh yeah, we all remember him. Unfortunately, and he yeah. was. He was a massive, massive human being. If you had just looked at the player representatives from the conference that year, you would have been like, okay, this is going to come down to Oklahoma and Baylor. Um, just because the discrepancies were so massive. Kansas State brought a 5'10 linebacker and Jake Waters, who was probably about 5'11. It was just, oh, this is a very different, this is an entirely different program although they were pretty good that year um but nayor do you know what this reminds me of the worthy nayor combo it reminds me of another obscure middling big 12 team of the past that was pretty good but not great um west virginia when they had clint trickett at quarterback and they had kevin white outside on one side and then um mario alford on the other yeah mario alford was kind of a poor man's Xavier Worthy mm -hmm. and Kevin White was a I don't he maybe a little bit better than Isaiah Nor Nayor and a similarly large and powerful guy. And I remember looking at them and it was like, oh my gosh, you, both of these guys are huge problems and they're on opposite ends of the field. I think this is going to be a, a big problem for defenses. And it was. And they had Clint Trickett. So you can White imagine White was really highly drafted, right? And then just, just didn't sort of didn't pan. 
Yeah. I don't remember what his deal was. He had a, Two brothers, too, that were also huge and powerful and may have also been drafted. Mm. Yeah, he was a freak at West Virginia. He was dominant. He was really good. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our next guy. Um, do we think that the three guys just we, we went through, are the, is that's the starting three wide receiver set, Ian? I think for sure. I mean, I do think that they're going to have a lot of different packages next year, and they may move guys around and, and bring in some other guys. But those three I would expect to be like uh, – you know, 70 catches, 50 catches, 50 catches, something like that in the top three guys. All right. Coming to stage two, it's Jaden Alexis. One of my favorite players, just because he combines two uh, prominent stripper names. He's from Florida. Those guys are usually uh, dogs. He was, he's a redshirt freshman. What do we know about Jaden Alexis? We heard some early buzz about him in early spring, and I haven't heard anything since. Well, he's out. He's still rehabbing. Um, I don't know exactly where he was. Was he was he buzzing as a freshman because he's so fast, or because he was taking well to the system? I think he was taking well to the system. I think he was pretty sophisticated, like figuring stuff out. And when I say the buzz around him in the spring, I don't mean like actual. Um, so let me clarify, I didn't mean like practice reports. Yeah. I just mean people telling me in the spring, oh, keep your eye on Jaden Alexis. He's actually good. I don't know. He he kind of seems like a guy that you almost wonder if Texas at least is fortunate that uh, he's likely to stick around um, and be around after Xavier Worthy leaves. Because I wonder if he could be approximate some of what Xavier Worthy does in the future, um, especially if he has a chance to get healthy and to develop more. Um, approximates Xavier Worthy, I'm going to answer, I'm going to go ahead and say no. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me go out on a limb there, Ian. Well, <laughs> he's fast. He is fast like Worthy. Maybe They're all not. fast, Ian. They play major college football. Well, well how, okay. You uh, tell me what you have, what you see in Alexis for the future. Well, I don't know. I haven't seen him play enough. I'm just saying, I think, I think Xavier Worthy, when it's all said and done, is going to be one of the best three receivers in Texas history. Yeah, I just mean being able to be a solid deep threat, be a threat in the bubble screen game. Just the sorts of thing, that sort of role in the offense of like a speed guy. Yeah. A dangerous. I, hope... I don't think he's going to be, I don't think he's going to be a, a Heisman. I'm just saying, which yeah. Worthy, Worthy could potentially be maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just haven't seen him play enough live football, to tell you the truth. So I, I can't even conjecture. Let's talk about a guy we have seen pl play some live football. Uh, that's Marcus Washington. He's in his he's, – he's got three seasons under his belt. Man, time flies. Uh, last year, Washington had 18 catches, 277 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, you know, he's a guy where it's not – necessarily clicked and he's going to be a senior do we I mean I guess the the, the take on the thought on Washington was this is going to be a refined good route runner reliable hands guy chain mover uh, is that still a potential option for him as like say a fourth receiver or is is he just you know program guy part of the rotation he's going to catch 15 balls and you know that's his contribution he would have 
he would have been well served to be on one of the previous Texas teams where they weren't as uh, aggressive or effective at using the transfer portal or recruiting to bring in immediate contributors. Yeah. He, this guy on most of the Charlie Strong teams would have been a guy that we're hoping could be a all Big 12 player next year. Didn't you list him the other day as a potential gas camp for 2022? Yeah. I think um, right now I believe he's battling with Nayor, so I, I think we anticipate that he'll lose that battle. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think he could probably be a really good player and maybe have solid stats if he were in a less crowded room. So maybe we'll see what he can do if he sticks around one more year after this or if there's an injury. Let's talk about a dude who occasionally shows some tantalizing things, whether in practice or in games. Just not enough of it. He's still young. Calvante Dixon from Carthage. He's going to be a sophomore. You know, there's thoughts that Calvante, who is pretty explosive and pretty fast, there's thoughts that he doesn't always get the playbook. I don't know whether that's true or not. I, I, I honestly don't know. But... That is something that you can acquire over time, right? And get more comfort. What are your thoughts on Calvante and his role in this offense? I was really optimistic about him out of high school just because he had such a knack for getting off the line and getting downfield. Um, I think he's a good fit for what they want to do, but it's just another guy that's like, it's just not the same old Texas as, as most of the 2010s. They have some... Um, major talents out there and uh it's an unforgiving depth chart i think we'll he'll it seems like he'll stick around and he'll either uh put enough together to maximize as an upperclassman or maybe he gets a degree and transfers out and seeks playing time somewhere else yeah i i still think calvante is probably one of the more sudden guys on the roster yeah but you know, you got to make the catch. You got you got to run the right route, and you got to find time on the on the field. And I'm, you know, who's he going to replace? I mean, if if he doesn't get the offense, he's not going in there for Whittington. The thought is, you know, he might be the guy that alternate, you know, gives Xavier Worthy a rest, right? Yeah, I've, yeah. Um, let's talk about a guy who, God, talk about potential and injury. Uh, even to a greater degree than Whittington. It's Troy O'Meara, who mm. big body, bigger than Nayor. Uh, he's only going to be a sophomore, but he has been bedeviled by injuries. But if everyone will think back, this guy was the revelation. He was the talk of camp as a true freshman. And unsurprisingly, when I, I remember when he got we got the commitment, I looked at his junior film and I sort of shrugged and went, all right, well, possession guy, I guess. And then you see his senior film and you're like, is this is this the same guy? Oh, oh my God. Like, this guy's incredible. Uh, and then he comes in. There's a lot of hype around him in camp, gets injured. He still hasn't found his footing. He's been just he's been really beset by injuries. What do we expect out of him? Is he just a complete wild card? Yes. Um, he seems like when they got Nayor, it was almost like, um, oh, they got what we thought O'Meara would be if he could stay healthy and he yeah. was a third-year player. Yep. He had some 
Nayor and Omeri both had some deep threat potential just because they're uh, so fluid and big. I saw some practice clips where Omeri was, I, I think his top 40 speed was like nothing to write home about, but in practice he was getting past corners on, on post routes and deep routes because his footwork is good. He knows how to get guys on, he, he knew how to get guys on his hip and just body them out and catch balls. Um, they really thought he was going to be the number one receiver in 2020, which is bittersweet. I wish for Ellinger he could have thrown to him, but maybe Herman keeps his job. So a mixed bag there. I, I think um, I think the the upside for him is that he gets a chance to get healthy and doesn't rush back. I think he tried to rush back maybe a little bit too much last year, mm-hmm. and this year there's less of a there's less pressure on that. Although I think the pressure was from him. I think there's definitely not pressure from Texas. And I think there's probably less pressure from him since he knows, Hey, like I, I pushed it last year and it went really badly for me. So maybe I'll take my time this year. And then maybe he's uh maybe he replaces Nayor in uh, 2023. Yeah. What's the book's not written on Omiri. Folks need to be patient. That guy, I, you know, if he can come back to, to some semblance of his, his self and, and continue to develop. I think he can be a good player for us. Uh, Dejon Harrison, speaking of the slot, he's a quick guy. He's a pretty quick-minded guy. Um, I've heard good things when I have heard things about him, but I don't know if there's a path to a lot of playing time for him this year. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess he's competing in that slot. Maybe we'll know the story on him when he competes with Brennan Thompson in the fall. Yep. Is, he on, is he on the list too? Brennan Thompson? Thompson. Yeah, that's the that is the sole true wide receiver that's coming in in the 2022 class. Uh, Brennan is uh, is fast. Yep. He just knocked out a 10-2-2, I think, the other day, 100 meters. You know, I actually liked him more than Evan Stewart in high school. Um, Why? I might, he just I, some of his film. He had some defensive film and he had some offensive film and he just seemed like the speed absolutely translates to football. He looked he looked much more like a football player than a lot of track stars look when they're playing football. Right? I think maybe he was playing a lower level of competition, but sometimes that's a sometimes that's a big boost. Sometimes great athletes do well when they play a lower level of competition and then they ingrain comp uh ingrained habits of confidence that carries over when they do play uh, better opponents. I, so I, I just thought he was more likely to maximize, avoid diva problems, um, and just be a real football player. I will say that after watching Evan Stewart in the A&M spring game, uh, I think that there's a very good chance that he is also a terrific football player. So, yeah, <laughs> Evan Stewart I, don't know, I don't know. If, I don't know if that prediction will bear out, but I, I do. I did like Brandon a lot. Well, one has nothing to do with the other. They could both be great. Uh, but yeah, Evan Stewart appears to be good at catching footballs in space. Yeah. Yes, he um, is. Unsurprising. Yeah, I got to say that uh, similar to you, every time I hear about a track guy, the first thing I look at in their film is: Are they physical? Are they actual football players? Or are they just track dudes using superior physical traits? to win because at some point 
at a, at a higher level of athlete, uh, you're going to, you're going to have to be a football player. And that's why Xavier Worthy is so exciting because he's a football player. He's a scrappy, mean little dude with, with an edge to him. I mean, you saw multiple t- instances where he's the smallest guy in the field last year. And you saw him stiff arming people on the sideline and like driving his shoulder into a defender uh, and just talking a little noise. Um, it's, you know, you need, you need a little of that. And in football, you can't let people, you know, clown you or, or sort of punk you. And if, if you saw that in, in uh, the guy from Everman, I think that's a, that's a good sign. He would, uh, Ian. He would go, he would fight for footballs, like as a defensive yeah. back or receiver. That's, that's what I saw that encouraged me is that a throw over the middle, he was in the thick of it. Another thing to, to notice, and I agree with Steve Sarkeesian about this wholeheartedly, Texas was been Texas had been carrying far too many wide receivers under some no, presumption that this created depth. But if you know anything about wide receivers or their personality traits, all you end up with is the four deep, right? Where these guys from their ego perspective can't bear the notion that they're running third or fourth team and they're not getting reps. So they're not going to develop and you end up with just a bunch of guys transferring. And so you have literally, you're, you're rendering four of your scholarships every year useless. And just because you're, you want to have this, this bizarre idea that you need 14 or 15 wide receivers on the roster. And Sark has decided that that is no longer going to be his deal. If we're going to carry extra scholarships, I suspect it's going to be on the offensive line. I suspect it's going to be on some defensive positions, which makes sense to me. Uh, Texas has nine scholarship wide receivers right now. And then when uh, Brennan Thompson comes in, that's going to be 10. That's fine. It might be maybe one light. I don't know. I mean, would we have preferred to have taken two true wide receivers in the 2022 class? Sure. Especially for um, seven Stewart. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know what? We're leaving out a guy. And it's a guy who is not the first time he's been left out of, a, of an analysis. Uh, and this was certainly the case for him as a recruit oh. and he's gotten some good talk during the spring and you know who that is. I do know who that is. Who is that individual? Karthik. Who? <laughs> no, that's it. I think he actually graduated. That was a walk on. Oh, uh, Karthik. I, Casey I'm a, Kane. Yeah. Casey Kane. Um, why well, we haven't seen him play yet. We haven't but, seen uh, him play, but. People have all all sort of said it's a relative proposition because it could be that he had such low expectations. But I've had multiple people say, oh, yeah, Casey Kane's actually good. Yeah, he's pretty good. I liked his I liked his film, the the, the film, the fact that your loved him. And I I mean, I don't know how much of this was your because Gundy had done this before and after him. But your loved him. And I'd seen Oklahoma State turn a million guys like this into productive players. Yeah. And then also that he was from Louisiana, where there's just always an abundance of, you know, uh, overlooked gems. So I, I was inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt. Not that I was like uh, pounding the table that he was going to be in the a thousand yard receiver before he graduated or anything. But I can't say I'm shocked, although um, it sounds like what he's doing well is basically being a big reliable receiver that's learning the system um 
will catch the ball at the chains, not give away easy gains, and uh, has at least the baseline of athleticism to be effective. One of the hallmarks of Louisiana two and three stars is that they are either 30 to 70 pounds under their future playing weight or 30 to 70 pounds over their future playing weight if they're, you know, on the line. And you, there's just so many of these different projects. And Texas has had a few of them um, that, that it's just so fascinating to watch. These little towns in Louisiana that get no attention and you've got these skinny dudes who eventually grow into a completely different body. Or you've got these dudes who are kind of fat, but they have some athletic ability and good feet on the line. And then someone takes them and they drop 40 pounds and suddenly they're a baller. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting observation. How heavy was he out of high school? Do you remember? I'm looking it up, actually. Oh, he was like 170 pounds. 6'3". He's listed at 192 uh, now. Yeah, he had a he had a tapeworm in high school. <laughs> you know, on your point about walk-ons, I wonder if the transfer portal is going to force what should have already been a better strategy, which was rather than stocking up tons of talented receivers, use walk-ons. Because a lot of times, like um, there's there's always been a walk-on at Texas where it's like you watch him in the spring game and it's like. Could that guy start for us? Because he's yeah. always open. Just because they because they'll learn the nuances of the position and the playbook so well that they'll be effective. And the answer is no. Eventually, you're going to play a team where he is not open. But as a for your third and fourth string, or even your second string, a lot of times those guys are totally fine. And there's a lot of them in Texas high schools. Like you watch like a Highland Park or South Lake Carroll or Westlake in a given year. And their receivers are dominant at their level. And it's like, well, he runs a 4-8. So it's just not really going to happen for him at the college level. But he might prefer a preferred walk-on spot at Texas over playing lacrosse or whatever he was going to do, you know. And, uh, you know, it's true. <laughs> going to Wellesley. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I wonder, if that's a, I wonder if that's a better strategy for roster management in the college level. It is. And you're always going to be having turnover. And like I said before, you can always pick off the top G5 guy if, you're, uh, if your young diva doesn't pan out or he, or he gets frustrated and transfers even though he's second string instead of fourth string. Yeah, the, the churn is inevitable. The question is where, where do you churn? And then where can you most reliably always get walk-ons who can provide not just uh, you know, potential emergency game reps, but also like give you good looks in practice and yeah. Kai money gives you good looks in practice. Michael Unger, uh, Kyle Shanahan, the current head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, you know, look, Kyle Shanahan was actually pretty good. I actually remember going to see him in practices and if he hadn't coincided with the big three, um, he would have gotten snaps at Texas, like real live snaps at Texas. But there was a guy in the, I feel like in the Garrett Gilbert era, I can't remember his name. I don't know if you can. I think he was from Lake Travis. And it was like, are we sure this guy shouldn't be like starting for us? Because he's he's like spring game would come around and catch like 10 balls. I'll have to think about that. They they all all my (laughs) scrappy white guys blend together, Ian. I can't remember either. Um, All right. So overview of this receiver core. If you would have talked to Texas fans six months ago. They would have said. 
you know, we need to commit to just being more of a running team. We need to get some tight ends. We need to go to two wide. You know, this isn't the strength of our team, you know, but Xavier Worthy is going to command respect because he's such a good athlete. And then, you know, that's what we're going to do. We're going to create this methodical, uh, physical ball control offense with some upside if you if you overplay the run with Xavier Worthy. As we've added Nayor, as some other people have developed, and as the the roster is sort of I don't know. Time has sort of revealed where some of the, our true strengths may be. I'm more and more committed to the idea that this is a base three wide offense. Do you agree? Absolutely. Um, especially if we count Billingsley as a wide out. Well, yeah, I mean, Billingsley, yeah. I don't think he's going to get his main reps as a pure tight end in our right. base offense. I think he's going to do other stuff, basically. Yeah, I think we're going to see. I totally agree. I think we're going to see a lot of 11 personnel, so one tight end and three receivers. Um, I think we're going to see, when we see 12 personnel, I think a lot of times it's going to be with Billingsley, so it's almost 11 personnel. Kind of like when they had little Jordan Humphrey. When they had mm-hmm. little Jordan Humphrey, he could even come in and block every now and again, um, and Billingsley is a similar player in that respect. Maybe a little better. And then I think we're going to see a lot of... Uh, 20 personnel with two running backs and three receivers. I don't know that they're going to flood the field with big bodies all that often because a lot of their bigger bodies are guys for whom their greatest attribute is what they do with the ball in their hands. Yeah, I, I, I'm convinced that this may be, I don't, I don't think it's going to be one of the most explosive offenses in Texas history. Uh, I think it'll be a good offense. It might be. I I mean, this is, We'll see. I mean, a lot of that depends on the quarterback and the offensive line. I'm, I'm not concerned look, about the skill guys. The competition is not actually that fierce for that title. Oh, Texas is, dude, uh, 2005 Texas was. 2005 Texas was uh, explosive on the ground. No, dude, you're not remembering it correctly. I remember. I, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you? Vince Young threw hey. for 3,000 yards. So does Sam Ellinger. Why you got to bring Sam Ellinger and everything? No, listen, were... <laughs> I, I understand that. And that's the nature of the offense. The point is they were not a one-dimensional. They were explosive in every facet were... of the game. Vince averaged over nine yards in attempt as a, as a passer, right? That's, that's pretty good. And then in 2008, right, we were not as good or proficient running the ball, but, but extremely explosive throwing the ball. <sighs> sort of. Like they, it was like I think Colt was like eight yards in attempt most years. No, no, so no. So like no. I'm thinking. No, no, no. Okay. We're talking about specific years, not most years. 2008, Colt McCoy was like nine yards in attempt, and he completed 74 percent of his passes or something ludicrous. It's crazy that if you complete 80 percent of your passes and then you're still sub 10 yards in attempt. So like if you look at like um, 2020 Alabama. Yeah. Or most of most of the Lincoln Riley Oklahoma teams, their quarterbacks are averaging 12, 13 yards in attempt. Which is disgust. I mean, like that's unheard of in college football history, basically. Except, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If you did that at Texas, which this unit could, I don't know if they're going to do that. But like, if so, if uh, Texas's starting quarterback averages 10 yards per attempt next season he may have like the statistically the most explosive season by any Texas passer ever. 
Um, and that's, yeah. and that's not, that's not that far out of the realm of possibility. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, we're, we'll discuss that realm of possibility after the spring game, when we do our quarterback okay. preview, uh, right. but that's also that also related to that, we're also going to do an offensive line preview. And, uh, those two things will be interrelated in terms of the explosiveness. I, I guess my bottom line is whether the, it's the running backs or the receivers, I think the Texas fans know how good our running back room is. I don't think they fully appreciate how good the wide receiver room could be or should be. Yeah, it's hard with Nayor in particular because a lot of that comes from Nayor, right? Yeah. And he's just, it's like he's exciting. The the Kool-Aid pouring fans will happily jump on like, oh yeah, big guy from Wyoming. He's awesome. He's going to be great. The less uh excited message board fan may not be so eager to think that this kid from Wyoming is going to be you know vault Texas above Oklahoma or Oklahoma State in the best receiver rankings I think we both think that that's very much in play but that's a that's exactly the kind of thing that a cynical Texas fan would be uh prone to like eh, just wait on that one yeah, I mean, look, ultimately, you have to wait on it because there's a season to be played, but that's easy. You know, the hope is, as a prognosticator, you can give people something to look for, right? And something to, like, hey, if we can do the following things or this guy can do this, then that's going to suggest we're going to have this kind of season. And I would say with the receivers, Xavier Worthy, I've got no concerns about. Uh, Jordan Whittington, it's his health. And Nayor, it's upside. You know, is he a, is, I, he's not going to be a failure. At Texas, he, he's going to either be a, a nice little piece or he's going to be like, ooh, Isaiah Nayor made another play. I don't, I don't think he's going to be some people suggested he's going to be like one A, one B with Worthy. I don't think that's he's not it's not that like he and Worthy are going to be battling for who gets the most receiving yards. I don't think that's the case. If it is, then that's probably great news. I've got a I've got a good ending question for this podcast if you don't have something else. Bring it on. Okay. Give me a best case and a worst case for Nayor using only um, post-1995 Texas examples in the receiver room. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a great question. Best case for Nayor. Um... So people think this may be a slight, but it had to do with the time period in which he played. Uh, Sloan Thomas was a was a a good player for Texas, but sharing the the limelight with Roy Williams and and uh, and um, B.J. Johnson. B.J. Johnson, yeah, that was yeah that actually, and also there's a different passing game back then, right? You didn't have as many attempts. Um, that's. You know, I, I, my instinct is to say Limus Swede, but Limus uh, was actually a bigger, stronger. If, he, if he's Limus Swede, Texas is going to win the Big Twelve. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, I would love to say that, but I don't have any proof of that. I would say Slow. Wait, wait, wait. Was that your worst? Was that your worst? Oh, this was you're competing for your best case. Yeah, I did. I'm saying Limus Swede would be the best case. Oh, uh, <laughs> Sloan Thomas. Would I thought you were saying that's your worst case. Like, no, no, Sloan Thomas. I think is. About, I think it's, I think it may be what he is. The, I think he might be a Linus Swede, his best case. I'm not saying wow. 
I'm not saying I'm not saying most likely. I'm just saying best case. I think. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's what I'm saying. That's why I'd say it. I'd like to say Lima Swede, but that would be incredible. Why not? Well, who's your worst case? Um. Uh, gosh, worst case outside receiver. I've got one that I think still might be a little bit ambitious. Bring it on. John Harris. Oh, yeah, but I mean, John Harris was a thousand-yard receiver. Now that was out partly out of desperation, but right, he didn't have like huge games uh, against some of the better defenses, as I recall. Yeah, I mean, he was he's had some limitations, but yeah, talk about There's... his ultimate gas camp winner. Or Nate Jones, maybe. Although he, I think his role will be very different. So Nate Jones was a a, a possession receiver playing yeah. outside. He was a big-bodied guy, but he didn't have great speed. He had great hands, and he was like a four-seven type dude. But he caught seventy balls uh, when Colt was a sophomore. That's yeah. that's an interesting comp. Yeah, I don't know if Nayor is that kind of guy. I think Nayor is a dynamic down the field receiver, but yeah. he doesn't do it with speed. I think he does it with body control and and tracking balls. And yeah, I think he obviously needs the right matchups. I. I think part of his let's like like let's be clear. Part of his his success will come from the fact that they've got Bijan in the backfield and Xavier Worthy on the other side of the field. So yeah. who's going to get the attention? So, so like Sloan Thomas to your earlier Sloan Thomas. Yeah. So uh, all right, we we think the upside of this unit is best in the Big Twelve. What's the middle ground? Um, Whittington struggles with some injuries. Nayor's maybe not necessarily. Very good. He's okay. Uh, it's still, it's it's still better than last year because um, Marcus Washington, Casey Kane, yeah, maybe Brennan Thompson is a spark as a freshman. Jaleel Billingsley, they just have so many more options. So it's uh, they can't help but. I mean, I'm talking about Texas football. <laughs> they can't help but get better. They can't help but get. They were five and seven. They'll be better. They'll be better. Yeah, I think so. All right. Anything else about the receivers we need to think about? No. <laughs> this, we were supposed to end this on an optimistic note, Ian. Why, why the sigh? Um, no, I, I don't know. I got nothing. You got nothing. All right. Well, we gave you something. Now we got nothing. We gave you everything, people. Hope you enjoyed it. That's the Texas wide receivers. Look for some of these uh, things in the spring game, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure we'll talk about them again at some future date. Y'all take care. Are you worried that recent events have derailed your retirement plans? It certainly made us reassess all aspects of ours, and that's why we're proud to offer our listeners a chance to work with David McClellan, a fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial. David's practice specializes in financial life coaching and retirement planning. And right now, he's offering free consultations for our listeners if you mention the podcast. As part of this consultation, David can help you understand your financial freedom number and what that means to you in assessing your future financial plans. If you want to build wealth, if you want to make optimal decisions within your financial life, David is someone you need to talk to. You can reach him at 312-933-8823. Once again, that's David McClellan at 312-933-8823. He's located in Austin, Texas, but he's got a nationwide clientele. Do yourself a favor and get some great financial advice for free and see if you might want to work with Mr. McClellan. I think you'll be happy with your phone call.